It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's a place here at the table. Your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic because your waistband's going to get tight. Take time. Welcome. Welcome. I'm Sophie. I'm Ari. And I think this is episode, we never say what episode we're on. Are, is this thir- season three, 35, 36? Season three, but I have no idea what number it is. I mean, we, what do seasons mean to us? I, I mean, I was, I was pondering that the other day on, on a jog. Like, why do we do this? Because I think the easiest way to, to track down an episode is like on iTunes, it just numbers them. We totally missed an opportunity to throw a party for our hundredth episode. That's gone, come and gone. Turns out that's long gone. We've been at this quite a while. I feel like actually for us, the point of doing seasons is that then we're like, oh, we get to do a little photo shoot with our friend Tomas. Totally. It helps us organize it in our own heads, in our own demented heads. And sort of like gear up for the the fourth season. Well, maybe we'll just have to wrap up our third season sometime in the next several months. Yeah. (laughs) Knowing us, it won't be until like we're absolutely exhausted. Like, oh yeah, maybe we should take a break and and, and start a new season. Anyway. We're both also standing here holding our mics, which is really new for us. It's very cabaret singer. Having a night. I, I love it. Our theme song in so long, but we hope you guys love it. Daytime's yeah. done. We're having a night. So cute. Oh, okay. So speaking of having a night, well, what have you eaten this week? Um, let's just say I've eaten everything under the sun. Big week for eating. Uh, lots of grilling. It's been very hot here in Chicago. I'm talking. I came. You know, I was in Florida last week. I'm now I'm here, and it is hot. We brought the Florida humidity and heat with us. So I did, we grilled some really good lamb burgers. I'd like to, to talk about if you can get good lamb, good ground lamb, you're not going to need a lot of seasoning. A lot of lamb burger recipes are like fortified with cumin and all these other spices to like give it that savory lamby kick. But if you can get, this is all to say is I got some really kick-ass ground lamb that didn't eat anything, put it on a charcoal grill some really simple potato buns. And then I made a quick tzatziki. We had some really high quality feta. And then I marinated some tomatoes and cucumbers in like oil, vinegar, and oregano. They were delightful. Like just, it was hot, had a juicy burger, but not, you know, not your normal burger. It was just, just what the doctor ordered. That sounds so perfect. I, I totally agree with you on the lamb front. I mean, lamb generally just has so much more flavor than steak actually, right? Because it has like that particular gamey flavor. So you don't need to do as much to it. A lot of people, particularly in America, I think are quite afraid of lamb, which is, which is a real tragedy plaguing this union. But a lamb burger uh, at the Breslin, remember that restaurant in New York? I don't know if it's open or coming back. She, April Bloomfield, one of like the, you know, the great chefs in New York who she had a whole thing with Ken Friedman, whatever. We don't know if canceled, not canceled, but she did an amazing lamb burger at the Breslin. It's just nice to have, nice to have that different flavor, but not in a lamb chop. You know what I mean? Sometimes you want more of a handheld experience. Yes. Oh God, I love a handheld. I am in Hawaii, Hawaii, which is so exciting. I met one of our fabulous listeners, Melissa Chingoya, uh, last week when I was in Oahu, which was so much fun. We went to first shave ice. I'm in Kauai right now. And obviously that means a lot of fruit, a lot of fish, etc. There's a place here called the Kauai Juice Company that does you know, it's so funny. It's like, obviously we're used to getting juices in New York city and little juice bars, whatever you have your celery, your kale, your cucumber, your, you know, apple, but here it's like soursop and dragon fruit. And I don't even know what soursop is. 
I don't either, which is why I had to say it out loud. Uh, And lychee and lily koi, which is passion fruit, guava. So it's just like my, my, my taste buds feel like so awakened to these other flavors. It's so exciting. And I went to, we went to the farmer's market the other day, bought some beautiful produce. Oh my God. It's, this is the garden Island. So it's like very, very verdant, very lush rains a ton. So all the produce is crazy. What I will say they don't do well here is tomatoes. Tomatoes need a struggle. It's like, you know, they need to be in like soil that is hard for them to grow in. Otherwise they don't really get flavor. So no good tomatoes. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Isn't well that, which I think is why like Sicily tomatoes are famous. Hmm. You mean because of like the temperature or just the quality, just something about the this, this soil? I think the literal soil. So the soil here is very plush and lush. It's very damp and uh, like soft as opposed to like rocky. It's like you need more uh-huh. like that kind of soil for good tomatoes. Anyway, so it's hard for me to hone in on exactly what I've eaten this week because I've had so many exciting flavor bomb memories, but mm-hmm. I got some Ono the other day and I grilled it and like, I don't know, I fucked it up. I don't know how it was like the inside was still rare. The outside was not, but it's like, I should have marinated it or done something better. I don't know. I sometimes think even with the best fish, sometimes you just need like more. It got very dry somehow. Interesting. I don't know. I have no answer to that. Did you, was it filleted or was it a whole fish? Filleted. It wasn't bad, but I was just, I was like really looking forward to that particular flavor. Maybe the grill wasn't hot enough. Anyway, so, so what I ate, my, my example of what I ate this week was a real letdown. So, you know, it is what it is. Should we talk about who we have on this week? Yes, we should. This week we have on the incredible Brian Dayton. He is a big name in Food and Bev. And if you are a Colorado native, you definitely know who he is. He has a restaurant empire that's mostly based in Colorado. He is the owner, chef, bartender behind Oak at 14th. I mean, he now is opening restaurants in, what did he say? Montana, one in Montana. One in Montana. Yeah. But he has, he started off as a bartender and kind of always knew that uh, the beverage world was where he wanted to go and then got more into food and just kind of worked his way up. And now he is kind of on top of the world oh, over, well, over there on, on the West coast. Midwest mid, I guess. What that is that? Is, no, that's what is the West. Colorado called actually. The mountain. West, the wild, that's wild the West. West. That's totally the West. I would say guys, we talk about cooking in high altitude. You know, that myth that water doesn't boil. It turns out. <laughs> It boils. We talk about sustainable cattle farming. We talk all about hosting at home. He clearly is an incredible and prolific host. Very fun episode. So much fun to talk to him. Also, he's like an ultra, ultra marathoner, ultra runner, ultra marathon runner, meaning he runs like hundred mile marathons. So he crazy, but in the best kind of way. It's true. We had such a good He knows how to live life, you know, very vivacious person. Very vivacious, exactly, which is why we all got along so well. So without further ado, can't wait to party with him on the road trip that we keep talking about every episode. Um, Enjoy this episode. (laughs) Yeah, season, maybe that's our season four. Okay, enjoy this episode. We'll see you on the other side. So So Brian, you are, you're zooming in from Colorado and you are, you're like a Colorado guy. How many restaurants do you own in Colorado? I have five, well, I have four restaurants oh in Colorado and one dessert shop. Ooh. Oh, so yeah. So are you a Colorado native? I'm not. I've been in Colorado off and on since 91. Where were you pre-Colorado? Like where, where did you grow Tennessee. up? Tennessee. I grew oh. up in Tennessee, right in the middle of Tennessee whiskey country. Um, Tennessee whiskey in my, in my blood since day one, probably. Cause I don't know if a good thing or a bad thing. So <laughs> That's why you're so, well, that's why you're in the mixology business. Got it. So how did you get into becoming a SOM bartender, all of that stuff? Like what was your path into that? Honestly, I I always want, and I knew at like 20 years old, I wanted to be, um, be a bartender. I had like my fake ID. I was hanging out 
Knoxville, <laughs> Tennessee, going to school. And I was hanging with my buddy Wingo and we were at these bars. I'm like, man, I just want to be a bartender. I want to own my own restaurant one day. I wanted like that, you know, that, mm. that classic kind of cheers kind of feeling, yeah. you yeah. know, it was, it was, it was, it was my whole thing. And so, and just had like this passion for it. And I, and I knew at a very young age, that's where I wanted to be. I, my journey took me a long time before I got to open the doors at Oak, which is our first restaurant up in Boulder. Yeah. 17 years from by the time I thought about being a restaurant guy and then opening our own first restaurant. But yeah. So, and that took me through like, you know, 15 years of bartending and, and just, you know, my love of spirits and, you know, kind of the same thing that you were talking about today, throwing parties every night for people really mm-hmm. enjoy, like making people happy and making people feel good and kind of giving back to the community in, in that fashion. Right. And so it's like, Hey, like, I look at the bar industry or the restaurant industry is like, Hey, this is like a little oasis in, in your day, a little madness. Right. And so, so super cool and super fun. And yeah, I think the one thing that really kind of separated me at an early age is I had passion for it. And um, I still have that passion for it, which is, um, you know, I, I think is, is rare in our business, you know, cause it's, it's a wild ride, especially after this year, it's been a wild ride. Uh, so. Right. <laughs> My hair's a little lighter, but other than that, it's good. Ah, same. <laughs> I was trying to make an appointment to to get all my grays covered right before we started this call, and I cannot get a hold of a hairstylist. I'm like, do I have to do it myself? Like <laughs> freaking out. My dad weirdly was just like, yeah, I tr- I called four different salons, and none of them have people available. I don't know if it's nope. just like all of a sudden people are vaccinated and are like, first stop, getting my hair done. Yeah, <laughs> right. <No>. Totally. <laughs> Get the hair done and go to the restaurant. So. Exactly. Yes. You got to look good when you go to Oak. So That's tell right. us about what your vision was for Oak. Cause you came from more, you know, I, I'm assuming you were a bartender first and got into mixology and then finally made the leap into owning your own restaurant. What kind of food did you want to serve? You know, what kind of night were, pe- were people go- going to have at Oak? Yeah. You know, the, the transition was, was pretty fun. You know, I started off my career at, at and, a real, you know, Mexican restaurant, Juanita's Mexican restaurant, three deep shots, beers, you know, all the good jazz margaritas, amazing experience. Taught me like be really fast and great behind the bar and, and mm-hmm. just a really fun experience. And then I ended my career out at um, um, four star dining at Frosca food and wine with uh, Bobby Stuckey and Lachlan McKinnon Patterson. And that was an amazing experience. And I spent um, last five years before I opened up Oak at that restaurant. That's where I met my chef partner, Steve Redzikowski. And Steven was um, the open executive chef at, at Frosca and in uh, open executive sous chef at Frosca. And he and I, he and I um, formed a relationship and I called him when I had a space I was looking at it. Oh, cause like, Hey, what do you think about this? And that was 10 years ago. And, and here we are almost 11 years ago, actually this month was when we started and kind of solidified that that was actually may it was memorial day so remember that that's crazy um time flies right so um you know steve had spent most of his career in kind of higher end restaurants you know from john george to frosca and and, and been around and a lot of different places and and i'd been you know kind of my journey was all kind of different places as well and we wanted to kind of meld both of our passions but in a in a more of a, like a neighborhood restaurant, kind of going back to that, that thing I said earlier about cheers. And so, mm-hmm. and the one thing that's really great about cocktails is it's truly an American thing, right? So cocktails were created in America, you know, it was like, that's where the first celebrity bartenders came from and then got, got the cocktail world expanded from our little nebulous from New York to San Francisco to start to go around to Paris and all around the globe. Right. And so, you know, being that that was the truly American, we wanted to kind of set our, set our, set our flag there and being an American inspired restaurant was something that we could, you know, you can pull from all over the globe because right. at the end of the day, Americans are a globally inspired nation and Steve's different eclectic food. And then my different eclectic bar and, and wine knowledge kind of made it a really great place. And that's where the name came from. We do open fired wood fired cookery there. And so uh, everything over a wood fire grill, wood fired oven. And that was, you know, again, over a decade ago. And so we kind of think we were ahead of the trend then. So, but uh, it was, um, <laughs> and we burn white Oak and then the reference to whiskey and wine barrels, you know, everything was aged in, in Oak. And so, um, so that's where the name came up and, and Steve and I aren't great spellers. So we went with Oak. So it was really great. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so, so the references is all there. When you guys are opening a restaurant or when, you know, when, when you guys are creating a menu, do they create the food menu and then you take a look at it and decide what kind of cocktails to make, or does it happen at the same time? Or are you just sometimes like, listen, I want to put like a, a, a yuzu margarita on 
the cocktail list and I don't care what you're making for dinner. <laughs> yeah, I think it, we're definitely more independent for sure. On, oh, okay. On that, that latter part. So, but we're also very open on discussions. Like if Steve's like, hey, that doesn't make sense or that's too many ingredients on the cocktail side and, and doesn't taste that good, he'll let me know. And and I'll do the same on his side. But, you know, those are, I mean, I've, those conversations probably have three times in 10 years, you know, on three different things. So, right. um, you know, we kind of let each other stay in each other's lanes. And, and and now, you know, honestly, now that we're so far into it, it's more about like letting our, our staff kind of raise up and take the, the take the reins there because we want them to have that creative power and really inspire them to do their own thing. Right. Because, you know, we have our creativeness and, and what we're doing, but at the same time, you want your staff to be involved and inspired and, and doing those. So, you know, today it's more about like, Hey, lifting those guys up and let them kind of tweak food, do plates, do desserts, do cocktails, whatever that is, modify the wine list as they see fit. And then, and we'll help curate that, do the tastings and make sure things are good. But, you know, so it's, it's a team effort at this point. So a little bit different than mm-hmm. when we started, but we don't do too many pairing so to speak we offer those suggestions you know if there's a new dish we'll be like what does this short rib dish go well with you know you could do a stout you could do a porter you could do um you know a, a, a great roan or something like that or if you want to do a cocktail maybe you want to do one of our manhattan-esque kind of cocktails so we would kind of do you know several different options and kind of in their arsenal that they can talk table side with our guests and, and mm-hmm. be like oh that, that short rib dish would go great with our cross atlantic cocktail it's got those bourbon notes the smoke notes from the charts go really great so there's a lot of that a lot of flexibility in that and a lot of playfulness you know one of your places is a ramen place right we just opened up a ramen restaurant in in big sky montana which is pretty wild oh my god yeah during during covid which is crazy wow (laughs) i mean truly ramen is like basically the only food that i've been craving all covid so that is the perfect so it's the perfect time to open, you know, exactly right? the comfort of a big bowl of noodles and broth. Like, Oh, there's nothing better. It's been, been pretty fun. So yeah, pretty, pretty fun, different cocktail list, you know, and really focusing around that influences from Japan and, and, you know, made a lot of sake. I was like, I'm actually shocked at how much sake we sell, which is really cool. And mm-hmm. um, obviously, honestly, like a lot of uh, Japanese lagers as well. So Ooh, nice. keep that in there. So, but it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it's super small, 1200 square feet, big sky, Montana, you know, cold, it's cold up in Montana. So it's, it's really nice to have that warm option at the end of your day. So what kind of cocktails are you making to pair with ramen? Like, are you relying heavily on using sake as that, as the liquor or like, are you, what kind of stuff do you think pairs well other than, other than. Yeah, no, sake, I mean, obviously. there's a lot, you know, honestly, like, you know, I always find cocktail pairings really unique with, with food, you know, and it's a very delicate balance because, you know, cocktails can be pretty striking, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you think about yeah. like the biggest and the most obvious one is, is Mexican restaurant with margaritas. So you kind of think about like why that works and then why margaritas work and then kind of play, you know, that's just one idea to make it a simple transition, you know? And so I think like, you know, especially with umami and everything you're dealing with, with the broths, with, with what we have in Niseko is definitely a different, a different depth. And so you want to be, that's a delicate balance. And so, you know, and that's why sake works is why white wine works is why beers mm-hmm. and lagers work. You know, it's always like these more simple kind of ideals. So basing that off of like, Hey, like how do we make a really well-balanced cocktail? And what does that look like? You know, so different, like you said earlier, like using yuzus or light, like strawberries or different, mm. different little fruits there. One thing I really like too is Japanese whiskey. And so doing yeah. lots of Japanese whiskey cocktails with that too, because I find that plays really well with those those heartier broths if you have some cold whiskey inspired manhattan cocktails again i think those are always kind of your baselines or your your old fashions and so having those kinds of drinks and then always having that nod back to it so whether you're using a little amaro or you're using chocolate bitters or whatever that is to really play the cocktail out i think really works well and then you know the last part of that is adding sake to that or a sparkling wine you know doing like we had a tokyo sidecar which was really great we did like a um, togarashi and sugar rim on it. So you get that little savory oh, note nice. on the rim when you're drinking it and doing some different things. And so, but then you get the sidecar, which has the cognac and then, you know, the yuzu and those different things that are in, ingrained in that cocktail. And so it makes it just a lot of fun and gin too. I mean, yeah, it, it goes on and on. So, but yeah, gin works really well from all of those, those, uh, those drinks as well. Here's just a little rando question that we are always asking people who are more knowledgeable about about bars and, and, and um, mixology. 
Do you refrigerate your vermouth? Yes, 100%. Always. God damn it. We're just looking for space. (laughs) It takes up way too much space in our refrigerators. We need someone who will just agree with us. We need a bigger refrigerator. To me, I'm like, you just need to drink enough Negronis that like you get through through that bottle of vermouth vermouth (laughs) very quickly. 100%. Yeah, you need that. Or you can get smaller bottles. You can buy like the 375s of vermouth too. We're not insane. You know, not about that huge Antica Carpano. (laughs) It's true. You can get the huge, the Antica bottles are big. So I I actually made um, a Frogroni the other night at the, at Mm -hmm. the, at the restaurant. or not at the house. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like the biggest bottle of vermouth in my, in my shelf. And so they are, yeah, I, I definitely understand your pain. So Thank but you got to keep it in there. You got to keep it. At in least there. you yeah. empathize. You, um, you got to sacrifice something, you know, yeah. so. fresh, fresh ingredients. Get rid of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the mixology trends and flavor combinations and stuff that you wish would just go away. Feel free to be ruthless. Okay. (laughs) So I feel like most trends are going away. You know, one thing that was, that was really serendipitous for myself and my career is I was right on that edge of when mixology took off, right. When PDT and milk and honey and everything just like blew up and it was like, and I was part of like the second bar class in New York and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really paid attention to it. And I was really fortunate because in my career at that point, I was, again, I've been a bartender all my career, all my life. And I knew like, Hey, I'm going to be a barman slash song slash major D slash busboy slash whatever it is that I do. Right. Being on that cutting edge really played well for myself and a lot of my colleagues and us really like pushing the envelope. And I think, you know, like, you know, us wearing our vests or, you know, ties or bow ties or, or hats or whatever, you know, and those kinds of things. And, you know, and and really, you know, keeping vermouth in the fridge or have bringing your own ice and all those things. I think, you know, those are things that are really fun and serious. And I still think that there's nobility to all those things for sure. And there's definitely respect in the way that we want to get great cocktails because it has become so mixology has always become a little bit so broad. Now you can go to the you know, go to the airport and get a quasi decent drink. Right. But yeah. then, you know, they're probably not using the best ice, right. Or they're maybe not using fresh juice or, I mean, I'm just using that one as, you know, as an example, but it's so widespread, which is, in a lot of ways is really great because now I can go to a lot of bars and get a Negroni. Right. And it's, and it's kind of hard to mess up a Negroni if you're quasi, you know, knowledgeable bartender, it's three ingredients. And even if, you know, your vermouth's warm and you're, Campari's warm and your gin's warm when you put it on ice, it still gets cold. So it's okay. You know, yeah. so there are some benefits to it. So I think, you know, some of the trends that have kind of went and peaked really high and then kind of come down are, is something that I'm stoked about. You know, a lot of the attitude, you know, we, we my crew that we're tied with, we've always referred to ourselves as bartenders, not mixologists, even though mm-hmm. we get referred to a lot of times as mixologists. Um, Cause that's what we were. We were bartenders before mixology became a term, you know? And so, um, you know, so I think a lot of the attitude that was around that is something that definitely needs to keep dying and going away because at the end of the day, like this isn't about, an attitude is about everybody having fun, you know? And right, so that yeah. was one thing that was really important to me with, with my restaurants. And when we opened up Oak, it's like, I wanted something for everybody, right? I wanted mm-hmm. a beer. I wanted a great glass wine. I wanted a great cocktail. I wanted a great non-alcoholic. I wanted a great low alcohol drink, you know, inspired by the aperitifs of, of, um, of, of Europe, because it's something that's very important to me is to have a, a, a wider range of something because the, the mother to be a recovering alcoholic, you know, for them to come into my restaurant is just, just important for them to have a, a great experience as you know um i mean some my rowdy friends drinking you know just straight whiskey are you know and so you know so it's it's like hey I'm, th- I'm like i'm throwing a party every night and i want everybody that comes through that door to feel like they're at home and feeling really great and i think that's something that a lot of more bars and restaurants should really look at and it's like hey like, that was something that's really important to to us and, and our restaurants and if you look at all of our restaurants they're, they're always well balanced um liquid program on the on the front side of the house so and the last thing too is like you know don't be a know-it-all bartender i think that's always been a problem with bartenders you know no matter if you're starting out or not or even a veteran as myself you know it's like hey we're always going to learn and even myself i'm always going to learn like i learn about new things that come out new products that come out all the time you know new new um 
new ways to make cocktails, new ways to pour things, you know, that's, there's always something to learn and you should have that attitude instead of being like, no, this is the way we're going to do it. And this is how I've done it. So always be learning is a really great attribute, you know, and I always tell like anybody that's, uh, that I'm going to hire as a bartender inside my restaurants, I'm always like, Hey, do you know what the difference between God and the bartender is? And they're like, no, I don't know. And I'm like, well, God doesn't think he's a bartender. And so, <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, like we always have to have that kind of humility and being like, hey, like, what does this look like? And 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 really, really understand we're here not for us. We're here for the guests. We're here for our friends. We're here for our community. And that's that's where bartending is. So I think more of that would be cool. Yeah. And what about, you know, as we kind of transition out of hopefully, you know, COVID for good and and nightlife and bars start reopening and we all get to kind of party again or just spend time with each other again. Are you guys forecasting any, you know, any trends? Like, what do you think people are going to want to be drinking? I feel like large format cocktails was that was becoming such a huge thing pre-COVID. But now the idea of like everyone dipping into the same punch bowl might not be what people are into. That's just what comes to my mind. Sophie and I have been talking to people on the show. I've gone, you know, uh, out to eat a, at a couple places here and there this past year. And I feel like I'm seeing a lot more like vermouth, sherry, yeah. like a lot of Spanish stuff. I also like, think what low you, ABV what, stuff seems really ABV. in right now. Like people are obsessed with Amaro's and aperitifs. Yes. Yeah. Those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. I think my prediction as we come out of COVID is maybe going to be the total opposite. Interesting. <laughs> you know, it, it might be the, it might be the roaring twenties again. Right. So yeah, they might reinstate prohibition in, in the fall. I don't know. Because um, <laughs> I think people will go I'm crazy. leaving. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a great question. I do think you're seeing a lot, you know, I think like when you went into COVID, a lot of people were, you know, there was a lot more heavier drinking. And mm-hmm. I do think you're right now, there seems to have been this like, this healthier outlook on it, which was there prior to COVID. And now I think people are like, oh, wait, we're coming out of COVID. I need to be healthier. There's low ABV cocktails, sherry, vermouth, Aperol spritzes, things like that. I think will continue to evolve. You're even seeing it, you know, in the, the RTD world. And so I think a lot of that will continue to, 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 to be evolving. I do think like, you know, there could be a, you know, almost a step back in creativity and whether that's mm. in drink and in food, because there's going to be a, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of different factors that I think play into that. I think efficiency, quickness, and people have kind of gotten used to a different, simpler kind of way during COVID because there's been a lot of home cooking, a lot of home mixology, a lot of things like that. So I think like you could see maybe a step back going into summer. I think a lot of us that are hungry to do what we do, will still keep creating and still push forward and put our best foot forwards. But I think a lot of it could be, you know, in a, and not that in a, it's a bad way that it could just be a, a little more simple, a little bit easier way to do it, you know, and there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Look at like labor yeah. shortage, things like that. Hey, it's like, easier to get a lot of, you know, I mean, vodka tonic was, vodka sodas are huge before, you know, vodka pays your bills is um, Mm -hmm. a huge thing. And so I think you'll still see a lot of that. I think, you know, brunches and things like that, you'll see a lot of kind of more, you know, continue to see some simplicity. And so I think there could be almost a, you know, a slight muting of creativity until Mm. things kind of start up again. That's, that's my prediction just, you know, and again, I think there's a lot of different factors that that play into that. So. Guys, you heard it here first. <laughs> so we'll keep pushing. We'll still be creative at all our restaurants, but you know, it's like, hey, and, there, and there's a lot to be said. I mean, my favorite cocktail in the world, I, I drank two of them last night, is the daiquiri. There's three ingredients. So, you daiquiri know. is your favorite. Okay, uh, give us your daiquiri recipe if you don't mind. So, oh my God. Ex- I like aged rum. So, prefer two ounces of aged rum. And so I, I just like that. It's got that richer, more funkiness notes to it. And so, so you does can that use mean that it's, is it, um, aged rum is always darker or can it be clear, but aged? Traditionally, it's always a little bit darker. It depends on okay. the barrel. It depends on what they might put in it, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it depends on what your choice is or agricole. Uh, it, it, you know, it's more to me about the funkiness rum is so like, unique and and tasty and it drinks you know and, and honestly i like rum because it feels like it's kind of like tequila you can drink kind of a decent amount of it and not feel so good or not feel so bad sorry yeah. you know with other other drinks and so um yeah so i like those just like those really subtle notes that, that rum has to it you know ounce of lime and three quarters of an ounce of sugar you know whatever kind of sugar you like to have honey whatever that is and and i'll shake it up serve it cold and yeah it's great i love it 
done. It's a classic. Yeah. It's one of the Good. classics. It is Unbelievable. One of the classics, so. I went yeah. to um Margaritas um, too. So oh god, yeah. margarita. Now, so okay, <laughs> I I am a huge tequila fan. What yeah. are some of your other favorite ways to drink tequila that are not a margarita? Other just than straight. straight. <laughs> <laughs> the best, yeah. Uh, just sipping it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> any way that you can get that variations on a margarita. I mean, I, I have to admit, I, I don't know. Like over the past like couple of years, I love frozen drinks. Yeah. And during yeah. COVID too, I got into a lot of frozen drinks. Like frozen margaritas are a lot of fun. You know, Paloma is great. Any kind of variation on the margarita adding mezcal to it, you know, yeah. to, to give a little smoky note. It's kind of where I would say, you know, and, and my thing when building drinks and cocktails is always, to me, I always think about where the spirit's from and that's where mm. I build my, my drinks around. And so nice. if you think about the flavors of Mexico, there's a lot of different ways that you can incorporate tequila into cocktails, you know, whether that's on a, obviously like a citrus side of things, or if you have that on a, you know, more of a savory approach to, to drinks, you know, because, you know, you can, I mean, Mexico is a bounty of all the above. And so, yeah. you know, so I think that there's a lot that you can play with to make really great creative cocktails. You know, I've seen great avocado tequila cocktails that I thought I would never wow. enjoy. And I'm like, wow, those are really amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And so really cool drinks. Wait. Okay. I'm really psyched that you just talked about frozen drinks because I have always failed at making them at home, but I love nothing more than a frozen margarita. How do you make them so that it doesn't have like sad ice chips that then just melt into a mush? Yes. They're away. We have to drink faster. That's part of the key. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good advice. (laughs) Um, Part of the the problem at home versus like the machines is the viscosity, right? So you need a really great blender or or Vitamix or whatever you have. That'll help a lot to get your, get your blend down. And then you really, one of the, the clutches and I, and not the healthiest is sugar. Mm-hmm. Sugar really helps. That consistency helps, you know, sugar and cocktails is always like, um, is like salt to food. Right. And so it helps enhance all uh-huh. the flavors, unfortunately, you know, that, so that, you know, there's always some sort of sugar, you know, people are like, Oh my God, Campari is so sweet. And I'm like, or so bitter. And I'm like, Oh, Campari is actually to me is really sweet because yeah. mm-hmm. there's a lot of sugar in there. Right. And so if you add a decent amount of sugar to your frozen drink when you're making that'll help and that'll help with the keeping the the temperature cool and so yeah and i would get that thing on the puree mode and i would leave it there and then i would get it to where it's you know your blender's barely fighting for it or really fighting for it to keep that consistency making it really thick and that'll give you your best consistency and like would you ever let's say you're doing a frozen margarita would you ever freeze your lime juice am i blowing (laughs) (laughs) yeah whoa Frozen lime juice. What? I mean, I I have seen and been part of frozen margaritas that people have used in frozen lime concentrate. Yes. Oh, not concentrate. I mean, like if you like squeezed it yourself and then I'm saying like since because I feel like that would probably help. Yeah, like when the ice melted later tonight. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just. I guess if you're using a lot of ice, diluting a drink is always part of the the recipe, right? I mean, in a certain sense, but I guess, yeah, if you're making a frozen one, then it's a lot more. Yeah. So that's why you need, that's why you have to, that's why you have to bump bump with the sugar, the lime juice, all the things. Um, But I don't know. Yeah. I think maybe if you did freeze the lime juice, it might help. I haven't researched it. Okay. About this, this sugar thing. I mean, listen, I don't really care if there's sugar in my drinks. I think it's delicious, but I'm sure a lot of people in Colorado are super, super health conscious. So are you seeing people coming in and asking for like low sugar cocktails? And if so, what are you offering them? Yeah, we do get a lot of requests. I mean, it's over and over and over again, always like, Hey, I don't like my drink sweet. And it's always like, Hey, well, we don't make drinks sweet. We make them well balanced, you know, and, right. and things along those lines. So that's the first part of the conversation. We do have a lot of people, can I get a skinny margarita? You know, right. Yeah. And it's like, Hey, we'll just, you know, use less sugar or zero sugar. And, you know, there we don't use any alternative sugar subs, uh, substitutes, but I'm sure you could use those and use things that are a little healthier. You know, sugar at the end of the day is not healthy. Alcohol at the end of the day is probably not healthy either. So, <laughs> I mean, we can talk right. about all those things, you know, so I think it's a balance and how you get that. But yeah, you do see a lot of people that are that in that direction. And what I notice more going back to the kind of vodka soda same if you'll order like tequila soda or vodka soda or straight whiskey or whatever that is. So they'll be like, Hey, that has a little bit less sugar, but I mean, sugar is in everything that you drink behind the bar pretty much. I mean, from wine to beer to yeah. 
your non-alcs, all that good jazz, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What are you making for yourself? Like after uh, a hard day at work, I guess a daiquiri. I did. I made a daiquiri last night. It was good. So generally margarita is where I generally go. I had to admit. And so I actually hadn't had a Negroni in a long time, but margarita has definitely been there during COVID. My number one drink actually was the last word. And so that was, um, I don't know. It seemed really appropriate for COVID. And I, I, if anybody knows me, I love chartreuse and have a lot of chartreuse around the house. And I always What's have in the last word? So it's super easy. So last word is equal parts chartreuse, uh, gin, maraschino liqueur, and lime juice. Oh, that yeah. sounds delicious. And so I bet it's, really, it's a beautiful color. Yeah, it's really great. It's got that nice green color to it. Like serve it up in a cocktail. And so we drink a drink a decent amount of those through COVID. But right now, coming out of COVID, margarita seems a lot more fun. So yeah, yeah. that's what I'm so when you have people over, do you, I mean, since you're a bartender, I'm sure you're much faster at making cocktails to order, but like when people come over, do you do a batch cocktail? Are you making things to order? Like what's your, what's your jam? Always batch for sure. Okay. So okay, Yeah. So go into the, you know, like you were saying earlier, I don't do so many punches, but it's easy to batch and, and you can take the batches, put them back into the bottles and then people could pour over Mm -hmm. rocks. And so then you could put up like three or four different cocktails and people kind of have an option at that point, which I think is a lot of fun. And so, you know, because you could do like a good, you know, I like again, keep things simple and then elaborate from there. And so you say, Hey, you have a Negroni, a margarita, old fashioned, you know, and daiquiri, and you could have those all pre-batch and pre-diluted the whole thing. And so smart. you just pour them right into over a glass of, and then you could have your little garnishes on picks and different things. So when you're doing a cocktail party, you know, people can just pick what they want and, and have that. And you can know you can do two or three and your prep time, you know, is not that much to, to yeah. do all that. And then once it's batched and if there's leftovers, then, then you're good for the next couple of days too. Right. Oh, how, how do you do the pre-dilution? You know, they say about an average of an ounce of water dilution per cocktail. I think that varies on each cocktail. So what I like to do is taste when you're building the cocktail and you're diluting it and you're making it yourself. And so in, in an easy way to do this too, is like if you're making, let's say if you're going to do a batch of margaritas is instead of adding the water to the batch of margaritas, what you could do is add the ice in your blender. Don't, obviously, you're not going to make a frozen one, but you're just going to blend all that up so mm-hmm. that ice cools down the margarita, adds dilution at the same time. Then I would taste that to taste. And I would start off slow by adding that, you know, if you're adding ice to it. And then if you're going to add more, you can just add a little bit of water. So I would just keep tasting until you hit that right sweet note. We all taste things different so we, and we all like things different. So, yeah. you know, when you're doing, as you're building those drinks, you know, A, have fun, B, you know, taste as you're creating those bigger batches. So we're, let's say we're going over to Brian's house for cocktail hour. What, what kind of food are we seeing? You know, what are, what are the snacks that are out, that are out with the batched cocktails? You know, I, I'm pretty European when it comes to these things, you know, there's always like a decent amount of charcuteries, cheese, olives, always lots of chips. There's always lots of chips. Salt and vinegar chips. (laughs) Love chips so uh, much. Yeah, I know, I'm like addicted. It's ridiculous. So yeah, so a lot of like little little food like that. Um, there will generally be some sort of you know nod to my my southern roots. You know where it's like you know minnow cheese with jalapeno in it or something oh, nice. like that. Always something on the grill. We grill a lot of different things, a lot of sausages, a lot of steaks. So yeah, so a lot of those different options are going to be be there for sure. And grilled veggies, a lot of grilled veggies too. I'm I'm interested in like what you were saying this a little bit earlier, but you know, cocktails are so flavorful and can have such unique flavor profiles that in a way they feel like a meal in and of themselves often. So when you're having actual dinner, right, we're not doing like, you know, cocktail nibs, like with actual dinner, do you usually pair wine and beer or will you like try to make a cocktail go through the meal? No, it's generally before and after Okay, for, for myself, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and we've done lots of cocktail dinners and, and we'll continue to do them. And, and, you know, and again, if we're, if we're, you know, Mexican restaurant, that's a little bit of a different scenario, but yes. traditionally I drink wine with dinner and, and, or if I'm having like spicy 
you know, Asian food or something like that, a generally mm-hmm. cold beer, lager, things like that. So yeah, I'm kind of a traditionalist that way. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I, I enjoy it. And then it kind of feels like if you have a cocktail, your cocktails like dessert, right? Instead of having right. dessert, maybe your cocktails dessert. Maybe you have to start with the cocktail, and then like, oh, and the Negroni feels good to finish the night with because it has, you know, it has the Campari in it, so it's helping, you know, you know, with that the digestive aperitif kind of idea too. So I, yeah, I have to have a Negroni. It's for my gut. Come on, right. yeah, <laughs> right. You just see, you need to sleep better. Um, let's talk a little bit about, we know that you're really passionate about sustainable beef and cattle farming. Can we talk about what that, what that looks like and, and yeah, yeah what you're doing? Funny. Literally just right before this zoom unloaded a whole cow that I just bought. <gasps> um, Amazing. Yeah. So I opened up a, a Spanish inspired restaurant, a Spanish inspired steak restaurant called Torita in three years ago and prior to COVID. And my biggest th- reason was in, in Boulder was there's a couple different reasons is when I was looking at the space that we are in, in, in Boulder, it's a really unique space. It's up on a rooftop, looking up at the mountains and it's all glass. And so mm-hmm. you can see the mountains. It's, it's just a really unique space. And, and it had these kind of like regal qualities, but then being in Boulder and Colorado, it had like this really kind of laid back quality to it as well. And so I'm like, how can we bridge that gap? And, and I've been going to Spain for decades and, and I just, and more like serendipitously ending up in Spain. And, and I knew I wanted to do a Spanish or I knew I wanted to do a steak restaurant. And I was in Barcelona five years ago with my buddy, Diego is like, was, he's a bartender at the hotel arts there. But when we went to this, um, this place called this beautiful food hall called El Nacional, which is in Barcelona and it's, um, God, it's just, it's a beautiful building. And, and we were in, we we're having some oysters, we we're having some tapas, we we're drinking some beers, a couple of cocktails. And then, and then we went to, there's like the steak restaurant when you walk in to the left of the restaurant and it's all the vacavea, which is the older cow. And, mm-hmm. and the one thing that's really traditional, not only in Spain, but all over Europe is the vacavea. And what vacavea is, is it's hundred percent grass fed beef that gets to live a natural life from start mm. to finish. And so, and I can talk about wow. beef forever. So be careful. This might be a different podcast, but, oh um, the vodka, the idea behind it is, is that 100% grass fed, the cow lives or steer or ox or whatever it is, gets to live its life in full. And, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14 years, the ox has, you know, one bad day and goes to harvest and, and, um, and we get to have that. But what happens over that time period is that the cow naturally develops and, 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 and marbleizes and, and, and gets to gain weight in a natural way, wow. just like, a, you know, just doing, doing what cows do. They just sit around and eat, right? It's like, yeah. that's, that's, that's what a cow's happy life is just chilling, eating, chilling, eating. And so, and, and, and you get a happy cow, you get a happy life, and these cows. And so it's really fascinating if you, because one of my biggest problems with the beef industry is the beef industry is a, is a commodity and it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty fascinating. So there's, there's a lot of roots actually to Chicago and how this started and the stockyards there. And, but um, the, the beef industry, you know, is a commodity. And I think that beef should not be a commodity. I think that beef, you know, and we hear a lot of the extremism, right? Be a vegetarian, I mean, this whole thing, like, you know, I'm not here to be vegetarian, be vegan, be whatever it is. I'm here to be sustainable and what yeah. that means mm-hmm. to Mother Earth and what that means to people's natural choices and what they want and whatever those diet choices are. And to me, you know, I think that I don't eat a lot of beef. I, when I do, I'm really fortunate because I get to eat a lot of really, really great beef, but it should be like in this reverence, in my opinion, right. any kind of animal that comes on your plate should be in a reverence of like where that came from and not just, I went to the grocery store and I got a ribeye and I cooked it and I didn't think about it. I don't think that that's right. I would, like I said earlier, I worked off and on in Southeast Idaho on a cattle ranch for um, almost three years. And so very well-versed in the whole industry, like from very small ranchers and what that means from, you know, that ranch was homesteaded 160 years ago. And, you know, to see that to where you look at like what JBS, JBS is a Brazilian owned beef company that owns like 80, 86% of the beef market. And which is crazy. Like when you see the slash and burn and all that stuff, but that's like, that's what's happening. And that's a, that's a really negative thing for, right. you know, it's for, bad for the ranchers, bad for mother earth it's bad for the cow. And so to me, it's all about how do we make this a better thing and really localize our beef, really get things that are really great. 200% grass fed and you can get the same result because what we want, we want marbleization and beef. Right. Yeah. And so, because it tastes good. It's like, you know, it's like, it's the point, you know, marble fat. Yeah. It's the point. Right. right. So, and, um, 
but you have to give mother nature time to do that. You can't, you can fast forward it. Like we've done in our commodity market. In my opinion, we need to slow down. We need to go back to the way that it was and let a cow be a cow and we harvest it when we can. And, and that's, that's kind of my smaller mission and and trying to change the way that people eat beef. It's like, Hey, I want people to come into Corita and eat great steak and eat great beef. And yeah, I'm going to, have it available for you if you want to eat it every night. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to go, Hey, maybe you should have it once a quarter, you know, and that's where it's like, Hey, let's do once a quarter. And it's like, you drink a great bottle of wine and, and nice. it's a celebration and things along those lines. So, and one small tidbit to tie it all back to Spain is that the Spanish, we as American Western cowboys and, and, and the, the American ranching industry has become really owes it all back to Spain. Cortez brought the, Horses, the first horses that came into the United States came from the Spaniards up through South America, through Central America, through Mexico and into the United States. The Native Americans didn't have horses till the Spaniards brought them here. And that's where all the wild Mustangs and all the horse culture came from. Mm-hmm. They also brought the cows. There were some cows that came right. in on the East Coast, but all the major cow industry, the Texas Longhorn, those are all Spanish. And so it's pretty interesting mm-hmm. when you look at the history of the cattle industry itself in the United States and how that's formed such a defining mark of our, of our country's history. And honestly, how the whole country's um, been developed is, um, is pretty crazy that that all goes back to Spanish roots in one way or another. So pretty fun. Again, I could talk about this way too much. I love that, (laughs) but I'm so interested in what you're talking about with the, with the vaca vieja and everything. That's really, really fascinating. And this, yeah, and, and it's also just so much more humane, of course, right? Mm-hmm. It's not course, just yep. about sustainability. It's also just about like, this is an animal that deserves to live a life, not to be a veal that's like underfed and being held up by a bunch of, you know, ropes or whatever right. the sad photos are that you so, see. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. Those are more rare than you see, but yeah, yeah. there is a lot. Of, I mean, but then the day commodity anything is probably a bad thing you know right. commodity beef commodity fish commodity pork yeah you know and so it's a, it's a big it's a big topic like you said well i'm not sorry not to like go off on a tangent but i think the fish thing is really interesting because i feel like people really are not talking about the fact that like so much fish is coming from farms right now and that like actually those farms are a complete ecological disaster and yeah. also like the fact that if you're getting wild fish like often those fish are swimming through plastic forests. Like it's just, yeah, I it's think crazy. Yeah. There's fucked up shit going on all <laughs> over. So to sort of on. like isolate <laughs> on the beef is a, I get yeah. it, but it also feels like, well, there are other problems as well. But yeah. that's why it's we're starting much. the having a night homestead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's right. do it. The only way. Colorado. I'm I'm yeah. I'm <laughs> there's there's reasons every trying night. to get to Montana and Idaho. So. Right. We'll right. Right. I'll have a cowboy hat next time. So (laughs) Ari, anything else we want to ask? Anything, any last burning questions? Well, I mean, I know that um, ultra running is such a big part of, of your life. Anyone who does that, it's a big part of their lives. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just fascinated by people uh, who do that. Do you find that you just have like endless energy? I feel like it takes working like as a bartender, like that takes so much energy. Your, your hours are crazy, but then to go run like hundreds of miles, like when do you sleep? Man, I sleep. I get a good six, seven hours every night and I do work out every day, but my, you know, a lot of my longer runs when I train in for bigger races or, um, you know, I do those in, in on my days off and things along those lines. Right. So I get them back to back. And so, yeah. So, and, and so, yeah, you know, I wouldn't say I have endless energy. No, I get really tired. And, um, and, you know, but I also find, I've always found that actually working in a restaurant made me stronger when I was, um, competing with, with running because you're, you know, it's almost like a second workout. And, and honestly, like you were walking around and bartending would kind of help you get more of your lactic acid out not to get too nerdy on, yeah, on, um, yes. on sports stuff, but yeah. So a lot of that really helped. So, huh. so I found that it happy. Yeah. It's, um, it's just, I mean, running has been a big passion of mine and run since middle school. And again, I love running in, in the mountains and that's, that's my, that's my gig. Like, yeah, that's my happy place for sure. Wow. I love that. Okay. Sophie, what's your burning question? My burning question is about high altitude because I was watching season three of top chef and the finals were in Aspen. And one of the finalists is literally like, well, water doesn't actually boil all the way up here. Is that true? (laughs) That's not true. You can boil water at altitude. (laughs) 
It just takes a lot of time. It sounds completely ridiculous. It just takes a little bit longer. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no hard boiled eggs in pasta. No pasta. No no hard boiled eggs. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're using all this oak because water doesn't boil. So, yeah, fake Um, news. And do we do get drunker at altitude, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Higher altitude. You know, Ooh. less oxygen. Yeah. So technically at altitude, you could a little, um, little, little bit, a little bit more intoxicated faster. So I do notice like if I go down to like San Diego and, 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 and go down there and have, you know, I can drink a little bit more down there than here. So, okay. It's good. It's good and bad. So, right. Yeah, exactly. One, and one, three, one, yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> Well, Brian, our last question um, that we ask everyone, and I'm actually super excited to ask you because you had expressed some enthusiasm for chips uh, not 30 minutes ago. Uh, If you were stuck on a desert island and you could only have one type of chip, what would it be? Salt and vinegar. Yeah, baby. (laughs) I love it. Love it. I love team salt and vinegar. Yeah. We love chips, Brian. We all, we also love chips and drinking. It's like (laughs) our favorite thing. I agree. Same. It's good. We definitely have to have him back on to talk more about sustainable kettle farming. I know. I'm really interested in how I can keep eating beef without feeling bad about what I'm doing to the environment. Exactly. Well, he's exactly, he's the kind of person that you want to talk to because he's not anti, he's, you know, he's not going full vegan and chastising people who are still eating meat. He's like, this is something we can do. We just have to do it right. Very happy to have you on, Brian. We really appreciated it. We loved meeting you over Zoom and can't wait to come and visit you and God, drink some of these delicious, well-balanced cocktails that we discussed today. Wait, because this is a cocktail episode, cocktail-centric episode, and I'm in Hawaii, I just want to tell you guys about a cocktail I'm trying to make today. I got a guava. I pureed the guava. I got fresh hibiscus flowers. So like, you know how you see them dried when people make um, hamica? This is, these are the fresh ones. So they're like very juicy. I made a simple syrup with them and some local honey. And then I pureed it up with a guava. So I'm going to do like a tequila drink with that concoction and some lime. Oh my God. They don't call me a mixologist for nothing. Wow. You just earned an honorary degree. Thank you. Uh, They call me a grand master sommelier. That's right. Okay, guys. Well, we will see you next week um, for another episode of Having a Night. And guys, if you've missed just Ari and I gabbing the two of us, that's what we've got for you next week. We've had so many guests. We're going back to basics. Mono a mono. We'll see you then. <laughs> Hi. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.